So, wait a second. Is Paul saying a pastor should get paid or shouldn't get paid? I mean, you all know what I think already, don't you? We even have to have this conversation. Um, I mean, we pastors, we're the worst, aren't we? You know, we work one day a week and expect to get paid for it, right? At least that's, that's kind of the perception, isn't it? And maybe you caught the, the news story last month, made national news, big headlines all over the place, uh, about this particular pastor. Not, I'm not trying to cast stones or anything, um, but this particular pastor who asked his congregation uh, to raise enough money for a private jet. Did you hear this at all in the news? Um, to replace his current jet, right? Um, and not just any jet, right? A Gulfstream 650. This is the Rolls Royce of private jets, all for the bargain price of about $65 million. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, trying to be gracious, right? Um, also, he can, all so that he is able, he wants to, you know, preach the gospel worldwide. That's, that's the goal, right? Um, I did a little looking, actually, and you can buy 50,000 round-trip tickets to Africa for $65 million. So there is other options, right? But, um, but who, who wants to do that? Now, now let, me, let me just even clarify here, because core to this pastor's belief, right? Every, you know, churches are different. There's different even uh, theological streams and all of that. But the core to this pastor's belief is that fundamental to who Jesus is, is that he wants us to be... Uh, financially rich, and physically healthy. And, and so, for, for example, for an individual in this sort of strand of theology, um, Jesus came, Jesus died, he rose again, so that um, if you have enough faith, um, and if you give enough money to your favorite televangelist, then Jesus kind of becomes your own personal uh, genie in a bottle, right? Which in some ways sounds kind of awesome, right? But frankly, this is, this is an entirely different faith than ours. And I, I've got to tell you, whenever I hear these wild stories, a few things happen. First off, I just kind of laugh because it's so preposterous, right? You, you almost have to just laugh, right? Second off, I, I kind of throw up just a little bit, you know, um, because I realize it sort of dawns on me in those moments that for most people, um, they think he and I are, are exactly the same, Right? I mean, that the, that the only apparent dis- difference between a pastor like me and a pastor like him is that obviously he's better at it, right? Because nobody, nobody here wants to buy me a jet, right? I mean, right? Right? I mean, could we try at least? I don't... No, I don't think so. And then, and then thirdly, I cry. Um, because it's not what people end up thinking of me, it's what they end up thinking about Jesus and his church, right? Is this really why Jesus came. Now, I, I, I hope you don't hear me throwing stones here. I, I don't want that to be the case at all, and I, I certainly don't mean it to be. In fact, I, I know that I have my own issues. I also like power and money, and like any pastor on the planet, I am in danger of manipulating for my own self-interest. I mean, without a doubt, I am so thankful, though, for a church like Christ community that has accountability structures in place to protect me, to protect all of us uh, from that happening as best as, best as we can. But the problem in a situation like that, it isn't simply the abuse of power or greed. I mean, as, as, as nasty as that is. The biggest problem is how fundamentally it twists the gospel. This is not why Jesus died. And that is Paul's main point in this passage. His, his main point isn't about whether or not a pastor should get paid. And, and that's not me trying to 
you know, get off the hook here, and we'll, we will talk about that. But that's, that's not really what Paul is driving at. That's his own personal example. But what he's really getting at is that there is something so radical about the good news of Jesus, something so transformative, something that changes us so deeply if we're a follower of his, that you and I, we ought to be just like and nothing like everybody else. I mean, did you, did you catch that? If you are a Christian, if you follow this guy named Jesus, then you should be just like and nothing like everybody else. I mean, we're still ordinary humans, right? Living in Johnson County, 2015, we are as ordinary and average as they get. We're just like. And yet the good news of what Jesus done, has done, by good news or gospel, I mean the story of, of God coming to this earth, dying on a cross, and, and coming back to life, Right? That, that life that he calls us into, that's, that's the good news. That's the gospel. It changes everything. That's, it's why we scoff at, at the televangelist, right? I mean, whether, you, whether you're a Christian or not, we, we know that something's just not quite right in that, in that scenario. I mean, we're not surprised as, as a people, are we, when, when people abuse power and greed? That doesn't surprise us. We see that plenty. And yet for someone who claims to follow this Nazarene who gave his life, we know that something's just not, not quite adding up. Now, I know it's, it's really easy for us in this moment to point at the extremes, right? And we can just spend our time doing that, right? And, and feel really good uh, about ourselves at the end. But what about us? Jesus calls us to be just like and nothing like everybody else. So kids, for example... Uh, it's, it's those games, you've probably played it before, maybe in a magazine or a coloring book, right, where you see two pictures, and at first glance, they look absolutely identical. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? And they, they look the same, and they, then you look a little bit closer, right? And you begin noticing differences, and you circle them, and, and by the time you're done, you realize that even though you thought they were the same, they're actually nothing alike, right? They're, they're so dramatically different. This is what Paul's talking about. This is the life that Jesus calls us into, that we are to be just like and nothing like. So, so last week, for example... If you were here with us Easter Sunday, we, we skipped ahead to chapter 15, right, to talk about the resurrection, how uh, resurrection means everything matters. Uh, two weeks before that, we were in chapter 8 still, right? And in, in chapter 8, um, you know, Paul is essentially, he's talking about the fact that we as Christians, if you're a Christian, you're free, right? We have freedom to make decisions about all kinds of things. And yet he says that there are better things than freedom, and sometimes we need, need to give up our freedom for the sake of the gospel, that was the whole meat sacrifice to idols thing, if you remember that. I mean, essentially, Paul said, meat is, is meat. Who really cares, right? Idols are nothing at all, so, so why are we worried about that? And yet, right, he says, if it causes a hindrance to people coming and knowing this guy named Jesus, then we should be able to give up meat. We should be able to give up anything. We should even be able to give up, Paul says in chapter 9, being paid, even though he has every right to receive an income. So that's, that's what he's getting at here. And we'll see really three things as we think about this for us, uh, kind of in this, this like-unlike piece. Yes, yes, we have rights, first off. Yes, we have rights, but we, we are called to sacrifice. And yes, we have our preferences, and we love our preferences, but we are called to service. And yes, we love instant rewards, instant gratification, but we are called to a lasting reward. That's, that's where Paul is going to take us uh, this morning. So, 
Let's, let's get this started off here. Uh, exhibit A, right, for Paul. And really, the, the section that we heard read was kind of complicated, hard to follow. Um, but basically, he said, yes, we love our rights, but we are called to sacrifice. That's the whole point of the getting paid piece. And so for 18 verses here, right, again, we heard them read. For 18 verses, Paul defends his rights as an apostle, And he asked somewhere around 17 rhetorical questions. Kind of intense, isn't it, if you were listening? But we've got to sort of step into their world for a second to know what what is even Paul trying to do, right? What is he trying to accomplish in this? Well, let let me kind of hopefully shed a little bit of light on that. But back then, essentially, it was a really big deal uh, to be a traveling teacher, Greeks, you know, they love their philosophers, right? And so if you could make it as an itinerant teacher, uh, it was sort of like its own sort of level of of celebrityism, right? That you you were somebody if you could do that. You got to kind of picture Matt Foley, uh, motivational speaker, living in a van down by the river. Anybody? Okay. That'll do it, right? Um, Picture that, but smarter, right? And so part of their cultural expectations for people who went around traveling, teaching, like Paul did, part of their expectation was that the, the better speaker you were, the more you got paid, and the more you got paid, the more important your message was, the more you were worth listening to. And so even hearing that, right, you could see, okay, well, that might cause some problems for Paul, right? That sort of, sort of expectation on this. And so Paul, he knows, he totally could have charged. In fact, he makes it really clear, doesn't he? Um, he appeals to all the rights of, of others. I'm not going to, you know, go through all of it, but even if, if you look at the text there in chapter 9, like all the other apostles get gets paid, he said, you know, Peter and, and the other ones, they get paid, big deal, you know. Soldiers get paid, he says. Farmers get to eat. Even an ox, he says, while it's working in the field, gets to eat some of the grain. Those who work in the temple get to eat some of the sacrifices. Everybody gets paid for their work, Paul says. In verse 14, he even says, in in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, after spending all this time building this case, right, all these rhetorical questions over and over, saying that he has every right to get paid, you kind of expect him at that moment to say, so, you know, pay up, you deadbeats, right? But that it's building towards this this payout at the end. But look, look what Paul says. Verse 12. Nevertheless, We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul here, understanding his culture, he knows that for him to receive support from the Corinthians is likely going to do two things. One, it's going to put him in the same camp as Matt Foley, motivational speaker, living in a van down by the river, right? He doesn't doesn't want that. He doesn't want people to to judge the message of Jesus based on whether or not he's a good teacher or whether or not he gets paid enough, right? And he knows that that's what's going to happen, so he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. The second thing is that if you were here in January, uh, you know, one of the big problems in the Corinthian church is that they keep arguing about who they're following in the first place, right? Some follow Paul, and some follow Apollos, and some follow Cephas, right, Peter. And so there's this big mess already, and he doesn't want to allow a paycheck to get in the way of what, what God is doing there in the gospel. He knows it'd be hazardous for him to receive pay from the Corinthians. I hope that, I hope that makes sense a little bit. He's not saying that pastors shouldn't get paid or, or shouldn't be supported. I mean, elsewhere, in fact, Paul thanks the Philippian church, right? In the, the letter to the Philippians, he says, thanks for supporting me so sacrificially and allowing me to do this work uh, without worrying financially. And so they supported him. And actually, even later, 
right? When the church in Corinth is a little bit healthier, he's going to write back to them and ask them to support the, the work of the church in, in Jerusalem. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he, he talks about that. And so money is it's on display here, but it's really not the point. The point is the gospel. The point is what, what is going to allow the good news of Jesus to have the most impact in the most people's lives without any hindrance from these external things, these other, other challenges. What does that mean in our context? Well, for example, you all um, put food on my table. You put clothes on my back. I hope you like this shirt. Thanks for it. Um, you put a roof over my head. And I, I don't say often enough how thankful I am, how much it means to me and my family to know that our physical needs are cared for and provided for over in abundance by the generosity of this church. And so thank you so much for that. But if that were ever going to hinder the work of what Jesus was going to do in this place or outside in our community, then I would have, I'd have to give that up, right? I'd have to, to get a, a different job um, and, and just sort of preach as a hobby, right? Kind of my spare time. And, and I would, right? Because I love to do this. I believe God has, has called me uh, to be someone who preaches the gospel. And so with Paul, I, I can say woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's, that's what Paul says. And so I, I, I would still. And yet, in, in our culture, it doesn't have the same impact to receive support as it would uh, for a church like Corinth. It doesn't, it doesn't hinder the gospel, right? In most situations, I mean, maybe if you're asking for a jet, right, then, then maybe, maybe it would cause some opposition. But in fact, I think it does the opposite because it allows us as a church uh, the most potential for flourishing, right? That, that me, I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have to worry about my physical needs. I don't have to worry about how my kids are going to have food and, and be cared for. I am able to give all of my time and all of my energies into proclaiming the gospel and, and hopefully strengthening his church. And I, that is such a gift to me. I hope, that, I hope that's a gift to our church as well and what it, what it enables here in this place. Because of your generosity, I don't have to worry about anything else. Hopefully that helps the gospel, the good news of Jesus, continue to move forward. Does this, does this make sense? The, the point is the gospel. Just, just as with, with meat, right? Sacrifice to idols, right? Paul's like, who cares? But the point is the gospel. Is, is the message of Jesus continuing to move, to move forward? And this, is, this isn't just for pastors, right? This is for all of us as Christians. If you've encountered Jesus, what Paul is getting at here is that we should be able, should be willing, should gladly give up anything or do anything for the sake of God's good news. I mean, really, I mean, just to break it down, what Paul's saying is, like, if I can give up being paid, and I have every right to, then you can give up eating meat. You know, going back to chapter 8, you, you can give up anything because of Jesus, if, if necessary. And so we are both like and unlike. We have our rights, right? Uh, but we sacrifice our rights. And so if you're a Christian, don't ask the natural question. The, the natural question is, well, what do I gain by being a Christian? Instead, what Paul wants is for us to ask the unnatural question, right? What do I, what do I give up? What am I giving up? Because the reality is, if, if you've encountered this Jesus, right, and you've experienced rescue from sin and death and hell, and that ought to compel us like nothing else to want to see that in others' lives as well, right? To, to desire that others would experience the same life and joy and hope that we have been given. And so what would you do? 
to see others come to Jesus? To what lengths would you go? What would you, what would you give up? What would you be willing to sacrifice? You know, I think it's why so many of you give so sacrificially to this church. Um, it's because we together, we get to see regularly, don't we? We get to see people who are far from God, far from Jesus, like we were. Get drawn near here in this, in this space. It's, it's why you, you serve with our kids, many of you, or our students, because you long to see that. Or, or maybe you, you lead in a community group or just even, you know, hospitality, right? Smiling at others. We as a church, we get to be a part of this process in the life of others. It's even why some of you risk the awkwardness, right? To let others know that you're a Christian, people at work or at school. Maybe, maybe even invite them to check out who Jesus is. And the reality is every one of these things costs. Right? I mean, there's no free option here. They all cost. It costs time. Who has enough time for any of this stuff? It costs money and, and energy and, and emotional, you know, exhaustion. It costs comfort. But then we get to see some of those kids and some of those adults being baptized or growing or changing. And we get to, to realize in that moment that we played even a small part. And all of a sudden, whatever it costs doesn't feel quite so costly anymore, Right? And I love, I love what C.S. Lewis says about this subject, kind of about this both, this like-unlike thing. Um, he, he says essentially, it's kind of, the context is sort of him talking about generosity. What does it mean to be a person of, of, of generosity? Not just financially, but in time and comfort and, you know, all, all resources. And he says it's really impossible to know if you're, if you're giving enough of yourself away, right? Again, not just money, but of who we are. But he says the best, the best thing to do is to look at someone else who's just like you but doesn't have Jesus. Not, not to judge them, right? We don't want to do that. Lewis wouldn't say that. Paul wouldn't say that. But to, to judge ourselves, right? And so you look at a, a family, you know, and basically you make the same amount of money, uh, kids around the same ages, same kinds of, of normal life commitments, right? Essentially, you're the same. You know Jesus and, and they don't. And, and then he says, but if you live in the same size house as they do, you drive the same size, same kind of car, have all the same toys, go on all the same vacations, uh, have time for all the same hobbies uh, or kids' activities, but you know Jesus and they don't, then Lewis says, we're just, if, that's, if that's us, then we're not giving enough away, en- enough of who we are. And, and in fact, specifically he writes, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them. All for the good news. All for the sake of what Jesus is doing with our time, our money, our energies, our comfort levels, with everything. What are you giving up? What am I giving up? Well, as, as Paul continues here, we see the, we see the second thing. And so um, in, in the following verses here, because we all, we all love our preferences, right? That's kind of the next thing. We love what we love, right? We like things the way we like them. Um, and yet, Paul says very clearly, our preferences, come on. Who cares? Who cares what we like? He says we're called, we're called to serve. So really, Paul is taking it to a whole, a whole other level here in verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all, I, again, going back to the meat thing, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm, I'm free to eat meat. I'm free to get paid. 
Though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I have become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for all the sake of I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So essentially what he's saying is to those who are Jewish and under the law of Moses, I know how to blend in, right? I can speak their language. And to to those who are are Greeks or Romans who are outside of the law of Moses, I know how to blend in and I I can speak their language, right? Paul was both, right, Jewish nationally, but also he was a Roman citizen. So he, he knew, he knew how to handle those situations, he makes it clear he's not, he's not doing anything, right? He's still under the law of Christ, and so it's not like he's becoming an, an adulterer to reach adulterers or something like that. He's not, he's not going there, and yet he's saying just about anything, any cost, any preference, anything I have to give up to be able to enter another person's world and love them well, I'm willing to pay it, he's saying. Yet, that yes, even in those areas of freedom, and there's so many of them, that we, we know Jesus, we use our freedom to become slaves again. This time, slaves to the gospel, slaves to to loving others, even those who are different from us, even even when it's not our preference. So, so for example, you might not like hanging out at the proverbial water cooler, you know, at work or wherever wherever that is for you and your your place of business, Um, and yet you do it because you want to love your coworkers. Maybe you don't particularly enjoy volunteering at your kid's school, Right? And yet you do it because you want to you be able to love your neighbors. You want to engage with them. I mean, you might, you might not even like everything we do here as a church, which is probably the case, right? No church is perfect. And we all come in with different preferences, different desires. And so there might be things that you really wish we did differently but don't, or things that we do that you don't like, or songs that we sing, or clips that we show, or, or maybe even that, you know, in, in the messages. I, I, if you're a Christian, I, I spend time talking to the non-Christians who are also here. And maybe, maybe we're like, why are we doing that? I mean, the reality is, if the good news of Jesus Christ is moving forward, right, if people are growing in their faith and coming to faith in him, then who really cares what we like? That's that's Paul's point. If that's happening, the question that we should ask isn't what, what do I like or what do I get? The question we should be asking is, are we loving people well? like really loving them well, both collectively, right, as an organization, but also individually and, and who we are and our families and the way that we, that we live this out. And to love someone, you have to love them in ways that they can actually receive, right? We don't, we don't make people bend to our terms, right, uh, before, before we'll love them. Right? That doesn't work that way. We bend to their terms. That's what Paul's saying. We go to them. That's what Jesus did for us, right? God came here to us. He didn't wait for us to, to make ourselves a little bit more lovable before he came. He came even, even when we were enemies with him. We go and we love because that's what Jesus did for us. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City. Um, he echoes Paul's words here, and I love the way he phrases this. This is really helpful for me as I, as I thought through this passage. Uh, basically says that, that in any culture, it doesn't matter, first century or 21st century, right? Whether it's here or across the world, that if you're going to love people well, two things have to be true of you. 
uh, to really love them well. Um, and maybe there's others, but he's just, you know, particularly in this context, uh, two things. First of all, you've got to be reassuringly similar to the people that you're loving, um, as well as startlingly different if you're a Christian. I, I love that. Reassuringly similar, right? You're not so weird that you're just sort of freaking everybody out. Um, and, the, I mean, let's be honest, some, some of us probably have some work there. Um, and yet startlingly different. So, so for example, I mean, with the neighbor, your neighbors, coworkers, classmates, whatever, you know, whoever those people are, right, in your life that you're engaging with, there's a lot that should be the same, right? You share so many of the same hopes and dreams and ambitions and desires, right? And even some of the same hobbies. We, we dress the same, right? And we, we have similar desires for our children and valuing our, our work and, and all of those things. At first glance, we're the same and we ought to be the same. And if you're too different, you're not going to have any impact, right, on those around you. You're just going to, you're just going to creep people out. But then look, look closer, right? Because it can't, it can't leave it there, right? You, you've got to look closer. Because if we're just, if we're just the same, we're not going to have any impact either. Because Jesus calls us to love our enemies radically. To refuse to gossip, even when it's what everybody else is doing. He calls us to radical generosity, not, not like you know, generosity as a side thing or as a hobby, but as an entire lifestyle of giving ourselves away in every capacity, right? From our emotions to our finances to our time to everything. Or, or to hospitality, right? Or, or to care for people that we don't even like, right? He, he expects us, even, even people who want to destroy us, even people who hate us, that we are called to love and respect everyone. We're called to forgiveness. I mean, if you're exactly the same, you're not going to have any impact on anybody. And, and we're, we're willing to engage, right? To build meaningful relationships with people who think differently, who believe differently than us. And that requires that we sacrifice our preferences. Right? Because the easiest thing for us is to hang out with people that we have everything in common with. Right? Who think the same way, who believe the same things, who, who have all the same hobbies. That, that's what's easy. That's what's natural for us. And so it's very easy for us, especially if you've been in church for any length of time, to sort of say, that's, that's it, right? Those, those are my people, and I don't really want to build relationships anywhere else. We have to sacrifice some of those preferences. You might not like all the language that they use or jokes that they tell or, or whatever, but, you know, it's, it's not going to do any good to demand that non-Christians live a little bit more like Christians before we'll love them. That's a ridiculous thing, but we do that sometimes, don't we? We subtly give the, 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 you know, the impression that for me to really like you, to really care for you, you're going to have to become a little bit like me first, and then I'll do that. I mean, that's just destructive, right? Not only does that further alienate the people around us, um, essentially it, it, it can just sort of um, encourage this idea that we just really want people to be a little bit nicer, right? That people aren't actually lost in desperate need of a Savior. Um, that's, that's not how we love. This is also why we plant churches. Um, not all of Kansas City is the same. And so we came to Olathe because we wanted to see Olathe have a thriving church of people who encounter the gospel. It's why we planted a couple months ago, right, in Shawnee and why we've done so in, in Brookside and Leewood and downtown because not everybody's the same, right? Even in a city like ours, even a city this small, we're not all the same, but the gospel is and we want to bring it wherever we can and whatever it takes in order to do that because we believe it is a message worth giving. We've got to flex to do that collectively and individually. And so how are you flexing? 
How, how are you living this out? How are you sacrificing your preferences so that you can serve others and serve them well? How are you giving up your own desires, your own even sense of security or safety or whatever that is, just so that you can love somebody in your life? How can we do this better? Last thing here. Last thing, we love instant gratification, but we are called to a lasting reward. I mean, I love instant Instant everything, right? Um, Amazon Prime, it's, it's ruined me, I think, right? I mean, I, seriously, somebody, it's probably ruined quite a few of us in here, right? It's hard to even imagine waiting more than two days for anything anymore. I mean, I ordered something last week, and they you know, said it'd take an extra day, and it was like, you know, what's going on? The reality is, in our culture, for us, at least for me, if, if I can't have it now, why bother, Right? We don't, we don't want to save for things. We don't want to plan for the future. We don't want to invest in ways that are long-term. We don't want to build long-term relationships. We don't want to see long-term results. We want instant now gratification. That's, that's what I want anyway. And everything that we've just said takes buckets of time. To love people well, to translate the, the good news of Jesus into ways that people in our culture can hear it and understand it and maybe even begin to receive it, it takes so much time. I mean, even think about what we've done to, to evangelism. That's the idea of, of sharing your faith with someone, right? Um, we, we've made it so much about uh, communication, like information transfer, right? I think it's because we just like things efficient and fast, right? And so if I can just tell you what Jesus did, then we're good here and we're done, right? I mean, it's kind of like a, maybe a little bit of an older model, be like the, giving the, the gospel tract and saying, I've done my thing because I gave them something that said something about Jesus on it, right? Like Turner Burn, you know, that's my favorite. Or have you seen the ones that look like money? track have you seen these it's like i mean you know you, you find ooh free money you know you pick it up. i'm a pastor and that would be terribly disappointing right it's about jesus really you know i mean honestly like instant mashed potatoes sometimes we christians can be the worst right we do this we look for the shortcuts we look for things to make it as simple and easy as possible but i think for most of us we probably don't do that right i don't imagine a lot of us carrying around those little instant here, you know, get out of hell free cards or something like that. Um, but what, what we do instead is that we think that this is some big conversation of all this information that we've got to communicate, and so we just don't, right? Because we don't have all the answers. We don't have all of our own doubts and questions figured out, and so we just say, you know what? I don't have enough information to be able to share this. And the reality is, it's not what Paul's talking about at all. It's not simply about information transfer. It's not about instant gratification. It's not about the easy way it's about relationships. I mean, look at, look at the research, right? In our culture, if an adult changes their belief systems, it is almost always in the context of long-term, meaningful relationships with those who are both like and unlike them. Almost always, almost exclusively, if that's going to happen in somebody's life. And the trouble is that just takes so much more work, doesn't it? We're in such a hurry, and so we either do it poorly or we don't do it at all. And Paul's approach is very different. Because yes, yes, Paul's looking for a reward, right? Hey, he says that very, very clearly. And yet the reward, reward for him, it's not money, of course not, right? It's not even success in the ways that we would sort of define success. His reward is the gospel itself. It's partnering with God in his work. Look what he says in verse 18. What then is my reward? Like, why do I do this? Why do I bother, right? Why? That in my preaching, I may present the good news of Jesus free of charge. Verse, verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. The gospel is its own reward. 
So do we, do we even have the right goal? I mean, as we think about this and think about what we're giving up or sacrificing or what we're trying to endeavor in order to help others see and understand the beauty of this Savior, Jesus, do we even have the right goal? Are we patient enough? Do we see far enough down the road to be able to, to be in it for the long haul? Are our motives right in the things that we do and say? Because let me tell you something. I mean, you, you know, I hope you know, right? I hope you know. I love, I love this church. I love, I love what I get to do. I'm so grateful that I get to be here and be a part of that. Um, but I got I to gotta tell you, there are some mornings, you know, when I just don't want to. I mean, that's just the reality, right? There, in fact, Monday mornings for me, that's, that's the worst because the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. and I lay there in, a, in bed and I think, again? I've got to do it again. You, I mean, Sunday, it's always like six days away from me. I mean, my entire life, right, is, it revolves around Sunday. And there are times when I just, I'd rather do, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, there are times when I'd just rather do anything else. Especially like three weeks on sex, you know, and we do that together as a church. Those are painful mornings, Right? <laughs> Just to lay there. And so, so what, why bother, right? I mean, what gets me out of bed in the morning, especially those mornings? I guarantee it's not the direct deposit. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus that I, that we, not just me because I get paid to do this, right, because I'm a pastor, but that we get to partner with him in as a, as a church. It's, it's uh, a recent Children's ministry, volunteer application, for example. Uh, we got this just a couple of months ago. It ended up kind of being a little bit of a, of a life story, and, I, and I, love, I love that she shared all this. But she writes out describing how Christ Community Church uh, is the answer to, to a prayer that she prayed in 1982, which was the last time she went to church. That three decades later, for some reason, she ends up walking through this door, through these doors, and she writes in there that now, suddenly, she craves God's word like chocolate, she says. That, that we together in this place, that, that she um, has finally realized, she writes, uh, that God loves her Care, uh, after three decades of being away from church. And I, I've received multiple emails, even in the last month, from folks who tell a very similar story. Some of you tell that same story, right? That you were part of church and you left for a really long time for whatever reason. There's lots of reasons to leave, aren't there? But now you're here. I've received several of those emails just this week. Or another example, I received this in the offering box about a month ago. It's from one of our teenagers. I love this. She writes, it's just so simple. She says, I'm 14, and I have never been so excited to come to church. Or a card I got from another teenager. It says, uh, Mr. Miller, um, which I assume she met me. Um, <laughs> uh, she says, thank you for telling an impossible story. Or, or an individual who told me um, just recently that we as a church, that we are actually helping her believe that Jesus really is better. We talk about that a lot, that she, she here, when she's with us, she begins to get a glimpse that maybe, just maybe, he really is. Or, or a recent email, again, about a month ago, individual writes, Nathan, I struggle with my faith every day. What everyone around me takes as a given, I look at and ask, how is this even conceivable? Our recent messages on God's design for sex are exactly why I'll continue coming to Christ's community, even though I don't agree with everything said. I'm still unclear on the Bible, and the Old Testament still makes no sense to me. But having the message of compassion toward all people, this is why I'll continue on this path toward understanding Christ and his message. And maybe this worldly hippie, that's his description of himself, will grow closer in the pursuit that everyone around me is so comfortable in acknowledging. And then he concludes, this church continues to help your resident heathen grow closer to Christ. 
And how many baptisms did we have this past February? I mean, more, more than ever for us as a campus of, of people, not, not just here checking out Jesus, exploring who he is, but giving their life to him and making that sort of that transition, right, into life, following him and, and embracing that life. And, and even thinking about all the people that we sent out to Shawnee, right? I mean, for those of you who've been around since the beginning of the year, that hurt, right? We here at this campus, right, we sent out 140 people, some of our best leaders in many ways, really great people to go and start a campus in Shawnee because we believe that this story is worth telling and worth telling in multiple places and we want to do that as often as we can and it hurts, but we see, we see what God is doing there and you know what else? I mean, we are as large here today as we were a year ago at this time. Same size. After seeing out 140 people. I know, it's, of course it's not about the numbers, right? It's, it's not at all, but when you take the stories, right? And you take the baptisms and you hear the numbers and you see that this this is what God is doing. This is what he enables us as a church to do. And I hope you don't hear this as, as me just sort of patting myself on the back because God knows I cannot take credit for any of this. This is his church. This is our church. This is what you are doing. Whatever it is that you do here with us, right? This is us together seeing people, seeing the gospel message continue to move forward. And so whether, whether you're leading a community group, that's, that's this work if you're leading a community group. The work of seeing people growing in their faith with Jesus. Uh, it's hanging out with our, our, our students or um, corralling two-year-olds, right? It's smiling at the person you don't know when they walk in. It's, it's the relationships that you're building at work and at school and in your community. This is what we're doing. This, this is why we're here as a church. Jesus came. He died. He rose again. He rescued us. And now we get to participate with him in that same work. And that, I mean, that's worth any sacrifice, isn't it? That's, that's worth any amount of service or giving up of our, of our preferences. For he himself, Jesus, is his own reward. And we get to partner with him. That's it's why we're here. And yeah, we're the same, right? We're just normal, average, ordinary people. There's really not that, anything that remarkable about any of us, right? We're the same. And yet he makes us different radically different. He calls us to something completely brand new because of what he has done through Jesus. And that is a different, a kind of different that our world so desperately needs. And that is who we are. Let's pray together. God, I am just so amazed that this is what you call us to. God, I'm so thankful that you have brought me here to this place, that you've um, seen a way for me to be a part of this church, God, for all of us. It just blows me away, God. I mean, you could have done anything. You're the God of the universe, and yet you chose to use your people, broken, fallen, selfish, desperate people that you rescue and that you empower to go and continue to do this work. And so I pray that that would be true here. God, I pray that we would be a community willing to, to do anything um, that it takes to see others get to know who you are, Lord Jesus. That we would not allow anything in our lives, both personally and as a church, to come in as a hindrance. And God, that you would continue to do your work. God, I pray that you'd be the one who receives glory, not us. God, that your name would be great and praised throughout our city, throughout our nation, throughout our world. We pray this in Jesus' name.